Uh, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7 today, uh, and uh, bringing closure today to our, our series called um, A Child is Born. I'm going to read the passage for us now. And the prophet wrote this hundreds of years prior to the coming of the Messiah. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today, we're going to look at three things from this passage, um, hoping in peace, uh, we need the hope of peace, finding peace, and being peace, or being a people of peace, hoping in peace, finding peace, and being peace. Uh, first, hoping in peace. During this time of year, uh, I think we have a tendency to look to the past uh, to find a sense of peace as we think about better days gone by, or, or we reflect on holidays of, of the past. But today, Isaiah is calling us to hope in the future and to see there is a hope which is not built on evasive nostalgia, and boy, nostalgia is so evasive, but rooted in the reality of God's promises. And as we hear the title given to Messiah today, a prince of peace, we may find ourselves feeling a bit frustrated as we look around at the reality of our lives with, with war and, and a lack of peace. And we can't spend enough time unpacking the cause of this, but we were created for peace. We were created by God in the garden, reflecting uh, his image powerfully in creation. And the reason that we are experiencing a lack of peace is humanity's rebellion against God as the Lord and against his kingship. So as we hear this, there may be some frustration, but I want us to see the beauty of the peace that awaits us and the hope that is here as a resource for us. And the word that Isaiah used uh, when talking about peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And the word shalom is rich in its meaning. It's so much more than our English word peace because it's not just the absence of conflict or the absence of war. It is, it instead, it means a holistic flourishing of the creation in every single sphere of life. Shalom means completeness. It means soundness. And this is the peace that Isaiah is calling us to hope in and to believe in. Uh, the great theologian uh, Cornelius Plantiga wrote a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And he said of this uh, passage from Isaiah, this, they, uh, the people of Israel, dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out and the rough places made plain. The, the foolish would be made wise and the wise humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower and the mountains would run with wine. Weeping would cease and people could go to sleep without weapons on their lap. Isaiah has told us that this coming Messiah will end all wars. 
in verses 4 through 5 of chapter 9, we see that the Prince of Peace is going to break the rod of the oppressor. And every blood-soaked garment worn in war will be rolled up and made fuel for the fire. Messiah will bring well-being, safety, security, and human flourishing. Of the increase of his government and peace, it says, there will be no end. How beautiful is this? And I, and I want our hearts uh, and our imaginations to run wild for a minute, <laughs> thinking of how much we as humanity long for this to be true. It's so good to be true, it seems too good to be true. He will rule with justice and righteousness. Heaven and earth will be together, and he will be our king. There will be no place for war, no place for death, thank God, no place for disease even, or violence, or abuse, or divorce, or sickness, mental illness, depression, anxiety, poverty, loneliness. There's no place for it. This is what we long for. This is why we spend so much of our lives uh, repeating what Cornelius Plantinga said in his, the, book of his, the title of his book. Uh, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Think about uh, just in our day-to-day experience, how often in mundane ways and e- enormous ways, we uh, say to ourselves, this is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Whether it's a part of your body that isn't functioning the way it's supposed to, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Or whether you have depression or, or, or anger, or you're going through a divorce, or someone has uh, harmed you or hurt you or abused you, it's not the way it's supposed to be. As we open up our apps every morning and, and read the news and just hear about what's happening in Ukraine and around the world, and you just say, that's not right. This is wrong. What we're saying is we need shalom. We need peace. And Isaiah is saying there is a prince of peace that is coming. Next, finding this peace. Pastor Tim Keller says that shalom, and this definition gets more and more uh, uh, expansive as we think about it. Shalom means the fabric of our life woven together with integrity. Woven together. Structural soundness or wholeness spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and physically. Wholeness, soundness. And and when we say things like out loud to ourselves or in our hearts, my life is falling apart. Uh, I am coming unglued. I'm coming apart at the seams. Or I'm losing it. And who, who among us hasn't said something like that? What we're saying is my life lacks shalom. My life is lacking the integrity that I was created for. Instead of coming unglued, shalom means uh, that your life will have order and, and it's meant the way it's supposed to be. And we need peace so badly. And unfortunately, we're almost always looking for it in the wrong place. Almost always. We look for peace within ourselves, especially in this day and this age. If I could just accept myself more, if I could just love myself more or think more highly of myself, I would have peace. I would have shalom. But it's not working. 
Uh, no much how much we self-affirm ourselves or look in the mirror and say, you're good enough or you're fine or it's going to be okay. It, it just doesn't give us the ultimate shalom that we're, we're looking for. We look for peace outside of ourselves too. We do. If someone will love me, if someone will accept me, tell me I'm valuable, I'll have peace. And if that's your heart's disposition, you're close. You're on the right track. You're close to the kingdom, meaning you're right. If someone will love you, if someone will finally accept you, you're right. There will be peace there. And it is in Christ that that, that, that acceptance is found. We, but we look to so many other people or other things to be that fulfillment. But it is there. You're on the right track. And, and it is the right thing to have a fullness of love. But that will only be found in, in God's love for you. And and actually, even now, in this life where we stand, it will not feel like enough, but I promise you, in spite of our feelings, his coming love, and when he comes in fullness and we experience the full extent of his love and acceptance, it'll be enough for eternity. I know for now we struggle. We tend to think that peace is a state of mind or, or a mental plane, and we can get to it if we just meditate enough. Or if we medicate enough, right? Uh, one more drink, uh, one, more, one more drug, whatever it is, I'll, I'll have enough peace. But today, I beg you to see that ultimately peace is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And what the Bible tells us is this, Jesus is objectively our peace. Whether you feel it or not whether you've had yet to have the full experience of that reality or not, objectively, Jesus Christ is our shalom. In Ephesians 2, and we studied this in depth this year as a church, it says this, but now in Christ, you who once were far off, those of us that are Gentiles outside of the covenant of God, once were far off, are now, it says what? Brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our, is what? Our peace. For he himself is our peace who's made us both one, Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down the flesh and the dividing wall of hostility. None of us in in this culture, in this day or age, like to talk this way or to think like this. But the reality is, uh, in creation, we were made for God and made right with God. But since Genesis 3 and our rebellion against God's lordship, we are not born into a right state of a relationship with God. We need intervention, help from outside. We need Christ to be our mediator. It says that we are enemies of God. It says in the Bible that we all have fallen short of the glory of God and have sin in our lives. But Jesus is our mediation. He brings those of us that were far away uh, close to him. He brings reconciliation. And it says it's through the blood of Christ who is our atoning one. He is our peace. He is our reconciliation. And when a person sees their need of God in Jesus and repents of their sins and looks to Jesus by faith, There are things that are just objectively true of you. Meaning, it's just true. It's true if you believe it, (laughs) if you feel it, I mean, and it's true if you don't feel it. It's true if you're experiencing it in this moment, and I pray that you are, but it's true even if you're not experiencing it. And and if you're a Christian, you know this reality. There are days that you come into a place like this to worship him, and you feel it. 
You feel the objective truth and reality of his love for you and his forgiveness and your sonship or your daughtership. You feel it. You experience it. And, and you're, you just revel in it. But there are other times that you walk into a place like this or, or open up your Bible or, or talk with friends or pray and you don't feel anything. But what the New Testament would say to you is it, regardless of feelings, experience, if you have true faith in Jesus, what is objective, objectively true of you, you have peace with God. Uh, that there is therefore now no condemnation between you and God. That if whatever shame you may hold against yourself or what has happened to you or what you believe about yourself or whatever things you're thinking about yourself, those things are objectively not true of you in spite of your experience here on planet Earth. That in God, you are a son of God. That in Christ, you are a daughter of the living king. He is our peace. And it's so good to know, know that these things are true regardless of what our emotions are telling about us. Telling us. And, and I don't know about you, but my emotions can ride pretty high and pretty low. What about you? But there's a peace that surpasses all understanding that is in Christ. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples, it says in the Gospel of John, having shut the door and locked, locking the door, that he appeared to them. And the first thing that he said to them was, do you remember? He said, peace be with you. And every time an angel shows up, it says, do not be afraid, right? Because they're terrified. People are terrified when you see an angel. If you see a resurrected human being having been <laughs> crucified, they saw that, he died, he's been dead, he's in the tomb for three days, and then he shows up. Yeah, you're going to be afraid. But he says, peace be with you. And I don't think he just means peace be with you because this is really scary to see a dead person. Uh, instead, he's saying, peace be with you because I have just conquered death and I am the victorious shalom that Isaiah was prophesying about. I am peace. I am the prince of peace. This is a peace that sustains us. The kind of peace you need when circumstances of your life have you feeling out of control? This is when you need shalom. <laughs> shalom, God's shalom for us now. It's coming in its fullest sense later. But for now, you need to know the peace of God, not when things are good. Who needs it then? But when in the middle of trial and difficulties, when we need to know that we have a peace, that God is our peace. And we can reflect with the great hymn, It is well with my soul, says. And every time I read old hymns, I don't know what it is about them. I start tearing up, and I haven't even started reading it. This is ridiculous. but like, Because <laughs> I well up thinking about people like my Aunt Alice, who just loved Jesus for decades upon decades and prayed for me and loved me and suffered at times great hardship and yet believed words like this. And I know saying hymns like this over and over again that our our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents in the faith sang these hymns and, and confessed their faith the way we have confessed today. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, not when times are good, when times are hard, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whether things are good or bad, you have taught me to say it is well. It is well with my soul. God put an end to the hostility between himself and sinful humanity on the cross. Thanks be to God. And do you know that peace? Do you know him? Have you trusted Christ by faith 
repented of your sins and looked to him by faith, he is our peace. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've done in life, no matter how far you think you've strayed, I promise you, you can know him, you can be forgiven, and you can experience this faith. Would you trust him? Would you look to him? Would you confess your faith to him? Now, being peace, finding peace and being a person of peace. Paul tells us that through Christ, we have been reconciled to God and therefore Christians should be people of reconciliation. We have peace with God and so we should be a people of peace. In Matthew 5, 9, in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, forgive me, Jesus said, no, it's the Beatitudes, blessed are what? Uh, the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. We're called to be uh, people of peace in our personal relationships, and especially uh, those relationships in the church. In the Lord's Prayer, we petition, forgive us our debts as we what? Forgive our debtors. When anyone joins a local congregation in our denomination, uh, they have to profess that they will protect the peace and purity of the church. The purity of the church is the truth of the gospel, but the peace of the church is to say, I'll be a person of peace and reconciliation. And there are things to discuss and things to care about, but I will protect peace. When we, uh, in many traditions in the church throughout the world, uh, when we stand up rather than uh, greet your neighbor, you pass the peace of Christ. This is like uh, the holy kiss in the New Testament where uh, you don't, you don't, we're not kissing one another, but we're, we're by saying hello, how are you? In a sense, you're saying peace to be with you. In Isaiah 9, uh, 4 through 5, so the passage right prior to the one that we've been studying every week, it says this, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling war, warrior in, in tumult and every garment rolled in blood is going to be burned as fuel for the fire. What does this mean? I, I remember hearing this when I was a kid, like being read at Christmas time. And I was thinking, this does not sound Christmassy to me, you know? Blood and rolled up garments. And what is he talking about? What he's saying is there's coming a prince of peace, the Messiah, who's going to take every means by which people and humanity make war, and he's going to destroy those things. Uh, you know, rockets and, and, and guns, and, and I know some of you love guns, but like, you know, for warfare and, and, and bloodshed and every armament, everything that's used to kill and maim and hurt and do violence to people, God is going to destroy in Jesus. And just the way at the day of Midian. Well, what does that mean? Well, that was a time when God provided a supernatural victory over the enemies of Israel in the book of Judges. And God did it through an unlikely character named Gideon. And the point of the story is that God did it. God will produce this peace. When Messiah comes in his ultimate consummation of his kingdom, it says all oppression will cease against the vulnerable people of this world. The very means by which the world makes warfare and oppresses the vulnerable will be broken, will be burned, will be destroyed. So what should we do about being a people of peace? What should we do about oppression? Uh, one response is to say, well, that's not a spiritual issue. 
Sin is the only problem, and, and we just need to preach the gospel. And the gospel absolutely is the solution to the world's problems. And sin absolutely is the issue and the problem with the world. The reason we have oppression is because of sin. There's another extreme, though, that says that human oppression is the only issue and the only sin that exists, and so we should only preach or work against that. John Oswald uh, was a professor at my seminary back in the 90s and uh, was one of the most favorite professors there. He wrote a great commentary on the book of Isaiah and is still well known today to be one of the greatest scholars that uh, has written on Isaiah. And he wrote this about this passage, writing back in 1986, One extreme is to take the way the Christian church has often taken, saying that true bondage is to personal sin from which Christ frees us, and thus turning a blind eye on actual physical oppression. Now, he's not saying uh, that 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 is untrue, meaning, of course, sin is personal bondage. But the other extreme is the way of certain forms of liberation theology that seem to suggest that the only sin is the sin of political oppression and that Christ's only purpose in coming was to give people political freedom. Neither is adequate in itself. To make God's promises political is to overlook that the chief reason for the absence of shalom among human beings is the absence of shalom between God and human beings through sin. Amen. But to act as if the forgiveness of sin is all that matters is to make a distinction that is unbiblical. The Messiah lifts the yoke of sin in order to lift the yoke of oppression, and the church forgets either yoke to its peril. Because we have been forgiven of sin, because we have had our burden lifted, we need to be a people that are, is helping others lift their spiritual burden first and foremost, but also their physical burdens as well. We're called to be a people of shalom and a people of peace. And let me ask some difficult questions. Is there somebody in your life you need to forgive? Because this is... On a, on a horizontal level, on a relational level, this is a key element to being a person of peace, is it not? If you're unwilling to forgive someone, basically what you're saying is, I, even though I have peace with God and have been forgiven an infinite debt, I won't extend that forgiveness to another human being. Now, forgiveness is a complex issue and, and takes a long time to discuss all the details, and you may have lots of questions about it. Is it only a feeling? It is not. In fact, you may not feel uh, very much like you have forgiven someone for a very long time. Where does forgiveness begin? I believe it begins with a decision. Long before you feel like forgiving someone or that you have forgiven them, you have to decide, I will forgive this person. And what that means is you start paying the debt that they uh, owe you. I'm not talking about just a physical debt, but an emotional debt. You start paying down the debt yourself. Instead of like letting them have it, uh, physically harming them or, or emotionally harming them or, or gossiping about them or telling the world about what they did to you, you instead pay the debt and say, I want to tell the world what they did, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay the debt myself. I'm not going to tell. Uh, instead of like, I, they deserve to be punched in the face. Kind of joking, but they might literally deserve that. But even though they deserve that, I, I will not hit them. I will not physically harm them. Why? Because... Because I'm going to actively choose to forgive them. I'm paying the debt myself. 
I want, I want to gossip. I want to, I, want to, I want to take what they did to me and relish it for a moment. I want to turn it over my mind and take pleasure in, in how I would like to do harm to them. But I'm not going to do that today. Maybe I've done that in the past, but I'm going to stop. That's, that's what it means to start deciding to forgive, right? And the, the emotions of forgiveness may come a long time later. Forgiving someone does not necessarily mean, mean being reconciled to them. That takes a, a good deal more, right? For to be reconciled to somebody means that they would need to really repent and, and mean it. Not just worldly repentance, but actually mean it from their heart. But we can be a people of reconciliation and a, and a people of forgiveness. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone that you need to call to initiate peace? Even more, perhaps you have been the one that you know you've done harm to someone and someone needs to forgive you, but you really need to release them to do so by repenting. You need to admit that you've done great harm, that you've really hurt someone or abused someone or, or done some evil towards someone, and, and maybe it's been weighing on you and you feel it, you know it. Even you can be forgiven, but you've got to repent. Listen, the very first step towards becoming a follower of Jesus is one of repentance and faith. You can't walk with God at all until you take that first step and say, I, I deserve your condemnation. I want to receive your forgiveness in Jesus, but I first must admit that I deserve, I deserve your condemnation. That's what it means to repent, to own the fact that, that you have sinned against a holy God. Uh, but in, in saying that, you receive forgiveness, and then, and then you start to say, but I want to make things right between people horizontally that I've hurt. Are there social media platforms that you need to walk away from in this day and age? Man, uh, even in, in places where I don't participate in the divisiveness, I get all riled up, and I'll, I'll come down and tell Becky and be like, you can't believe what so-and-so said online. And she'll be like, why are you reading that? Like, I don't know, but now I'm really upset. And she's like, right, so why are you reading that? Like, because it's, I just need to know. I need to know the stuff, right? No, no, you don't. There are blogs you need to quit. There are social media outlets you need to stay away from. If it's adding to the divisiveness of your life, or if you're feeling the fire of division, or if you're being riled up like I do all the time, like, maybe we should just stop these things in order to be a people of peace. All this knowledge about one another is not that helpful, to be honest. It's like hearing about your cat is great. Hearing about what you think about everything is less great. <laughs> I could say more. Being a person of peace means being the type of person who is constantly taking uh, the log out of your own eye and before judging other people. This is what Jesus said. Jesus had a couple things to say about this, right? Uh, before I start judging you, I have a two-by-four coming out, protruding out of my head, like a log. That's what Jesus says, a literal log. Take care of your stuff first to be a person of peace. And Jesus said, ultimately, they'll know your disciples by the way you love one another. So being a person of peace is no small matter. I want to close by reading a quote from a pastor named Ryan Paulson who said this about this passage and about Christmas. He said, Christmas has a way of initiating both delight and disillusionment. Isn't that true? Uh, for many of us, this is the, the most wonderful time of the year. 
And for other, others of us, it's the most sad time of the year. He writes this, today your house might be full, but someone's absence makes it feel empty. Your house may be full, but someone's absence makes it feel empty. The tree might be bursting with presents, but you really just want the presence of one person, and that relationship feels helplessly elusive. Uh, The table might be filled with food, but your soul feels like a barren land. And in the midst of all the decor and tinsel, the past year might feel like a frayed garment that's barely holding on. I want to assure you, he writes, that the Prince of Peace is present. The first step to walking in his peace is inviting him into your chaos. Amen. The first step is inviting him into your disappointment. Inviting him into your fear. Will you allow him to meet you in the fray and begin the process of weaving and crafting the mosaic he calls your life and your story? Call on the Prince of Peace to rule in your life this Christmas, won't you? He is a Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we need this peace so badly. Uh, Time has shown that we are not evolving into more peaceful people. We are still at war as much as we've ever been at war. We're creating more means by which to make war, not less. More ways to divide, not fewer. Lord, we need you. We're desperate for you. Nothing is working. Our politics aren't working. Our 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 other religions and philosophies and um, the gurus that we turn to, it's, it's just not working. We need you to be our peace. Would you help us to be a people of peace? We ask in Jesus' good name. Amen.